Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. I am the Build Your Network co-host, Eric Skorzynski, and today's midweek mashup episode is 33 minutes of pure motivation. This one is coming out of the Travis Chapel vault. This was originally made for YouTube back in March of 2020. Remember, before the world shut down, uh, this episode is going to give you some content from Fox News host Tommy Lahren, investor Dean Graziosi, Impact Theories Tom Bilyeu, and master of the three-minute pitch himself, Brant Pinvidic. They're all going to share powerful tips on how you can become world-class. Whether you own a business, whether you work in a business, whether you're grinding it out, hustling day-to-day, this episode is nothing but pure magic. You're going to get some awesome content from some awesome people. So strap in, buckle up. Remember, if you take any value and you better from this episode, you better take some amazing value from this show. You need to take a screenshot of this episode, post it to your Instagram stories and tag Travis on Instagram with the handle at Travis Chapel. All right, guys, let's get into the show. So 
So that's where the first like viral video you ever had was when you were at One America? Yes. Okay. Yes, after the Chattanooga terrorist attacks. I okay. kind of went after uh, President Obama at the time. So how was that? Cause that most, was crazy to yeah, me. Yeah, mm-hmm. so most people, uh, you know, when a video goes viral, it's it's very much a, like, it's a positive thing for everybody. Like, everybody's happy about it. Like, a, like a few friends of mine have put out viral stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah, like, high five. You put out something viral, cool. And uh, when you put out something viral, it comes with a package of a big, like, bottle of hate, right? So talk to me about, like, yeah. the first time where you started, like, reading through some stuff and you're like, oh, my goodness, these people are, like, actually hating me. How did that, how did that whole situation unfold? I think I had a little bit of a dose of it just all the way through, just being a conservative. I think that was the time, and when those came out, that was during, that was leading up to the 2016 election. This was yeah. 2015, so things were heating up. A things little were unrest, intense. you Yeah, so say. I mean, yeah. I was used to that environment. So, um, and those, when I went after Obama, um, I actually had a lot of support for that. It was very military-focused, and so there wasn't as much hate in, in that commentary as, of course, now I get when I talk about other things. But going viral is something I never, I never planned to do it. I didn't put it out there. Someone else took a segment of my show that I did every single night, five days a week, and they recorded it and put it out there. So I was stunned when it went viral because that wasn't something I was trying to do. Um, but I knew when I did it that it was powerful. Um, and I knew that it would get a reaction. I just didn't think it was going to be a viral reaction. But then after that, it was some people then when they get the viral bug, then everything they want to go viral in everything that they do. So I get that a lot from people. They say, oh, are you you saying these things to purposely be controversial and polarizing and make people mad so you can get attention and go viral? The answer is no. Uh, If I were to be someone like that and I were to do that for the purpose of going viral, I would have had 15 minutes of fame and then I would have been done. Because when you start taking the passion out of it, you start taking the work out of it, and you start taking the authenticity out of it, that's when you're going to fail every single time. My intent, and anything I do is not to go viral. It's just to be from the heart, to be passionate. I talk about things I'm passionate about. I don't need to create them. I don't need to engineer it. This is how I am. This is what I believe. I believe very strongly in a, in a set of things. And when I talk about those things, they're probably going to go viral. And it's not because I'm saying things that are necessarily just because they're controversial. Yes, that's part of it. But it's also because you can feel the passion that I'm speaking with. And it's very easy to be a shock jock. And there's a lot of people that have tried to do it since. They want to go viral. They want to imitate this career that I've built. But you you see it's kind of hollow because they're doing it to make money. They're doing it to be famous. They're doing it to go viral. They're not doing it because they feel it deep within their bones. Yeah. And And that's the thing. People can love me or hate me. As long as they know that I'm being authentic, that is the most important thing. And people are still going to say that it's not. Sure. I know who I am. People are going to call me names. I know who I am. It really doesn't bother me anymore. I. But it had to at first. It really, quite honestly, didn't. Really? No. I've always had a very strong sense of self. Hmm. So if I'm saying something and people, especially because... If people are criticizing me for my intelligence, sometimes it hurts a little bit. Yeah. When fellow conservatives criticize my intelligence... That's what really actually bugs me yeah. because I know that I'm not unintelligent. Yeah. Um, but when people say, oh, you're this, or they call me names, or they say disgusting, horrible things about me, I have to respect you to respect what you say about me. Mm. If you're calling me a nasty name, if you're calling me outside of my name, if you're labeling me something that I'm not, it doesn't affect me because I know who I am. Yeah. 
And I think if more people had that confidence in themselves, then they wouldn't worry about validation from everybody else all the time. Young people now, especially with social media, they are so worried about their likes, their comments, their retweets, their views. That is where they get the validation. And if someone says just one thing mean about them, they could say a hundred nice things, but that one person that says that one mean thing can just completely devastate them. And that's not freedom to me. Freedom to me is being able to look at it, take the good with the bad, not let my head swell when people say great things, and not let me be completely shattered when people say horrible things. Yeah. There's a balance there that I've been able to find through doing this for several years and having yeah. several moments of controversy yeah. along the way. Uh, props to you. Yeah, props <laughs> to you for keeping a level head. So you have a new show called World Class. What do you think makes someone world class? Hmm. Uh, it's a good question, Natasha. Um, that's kind of why I started the show, to be honest, was I wanted to answer that question for myself because I, I wanted to go have more conversations with world-class people right. and ask them that, like, what, what have you done to get to where you are? But um, if I were just to say something off the top of my head with the people I've had conversations with, with Build Your Network and things, um, I think that it's just the relentless pursuit of perfecting your craft. Hmm. Um, I think that's what makes somebody world-class. And if you look at all the top people that are out there, you know, talent has something to do with it in every right. world-class people are talented, right? Like there's no getting around that. If you're world-class at something, it's probably because you're somewhat talented at that, but world-class is also people who work really hard. Like talent is not enough to get you to world-class right. talent is enough to get you good, right? It gets you recognized, maybe get you great. Maybe even to go viral once or yeah, sure. But, but to be consistently good all the time. Like that's a world class. Like you look at somebody, um, even in, in the, in the comedy world, like you look at somebody like, um, a Jim Gaffigan, you know, right. really a clean comedian, uh, which is very rare, but also he just always has new material, right? All, he's prolific, always just writing more comedy, writing comedy, writing comedy, right? Like, I don't know anybody who just like keeps coming out with specials okay. every single time. Right. And it was funny cause I was having those types of thoughts and, uh, uh about him. And I was just like, man, it seems like he's always like he's always putting out something new, you know, and a lot of comedians do one or two and then they're done, you know, and this guy's just always put out something. And I, I was listening to him on uh, Conan O'Brien recently. And, uh, he said he, uh, Conan actually said the same thing to him. And he was like, you are one of the most, you know, just consistent like comics that exist. You just always are, you continue to pursue the craft. You continue to pursue being good at what it is that you do, even though you don't have to at this point, right? Like somebody like Jim Gaffigan can sell out any arena he wants to because of his name, because of the work he's already done. He doesn't have to put in as much work as he did when he first started, but he still does. And, and that's what I, I think that, that uh, is, makes somebody world-class is that is like, you got to have a little bit of talent. Like you look at somebody like, like a LeBron James, like he's a world-class athlete. Is he talented? Yes. There's no arguing that that man is a freak of nature, like built to be an athlete, right? Just like Zion Williamson or some of these other, some of these other um, athletes that are coming up. And, but if he were just that, there's so many stories of people who were talented and then made it to the, to the, to the league, whether it's NBA or NFL or MLB or any of these other professional sports and just crashed and burned because they got sucked into the party scene and just wanted to like, they, they blew their money on, on bottle service and didn't, and lost, they lost a sight of the thing that got them there to begin with, which was the craft. Right. And they happened to be good enough at it 
because they were born with a natural talent and maybe fostered it a little bit. But ultimately, the journey of becoming world-class is about finding the thing that you have a little bit of natural ability in and then just going all in and working really hard to get there. So I, I think it's that combination. So I just became a parent about nine months ago. Yeah, um, congrats. Thank you. Um, his name's Cameron. And um, I, I was listening to a couple of, of your of your podcast episodes, just trying to prepare for this one. And it, it was the one that you brought your son on to talk oh, yeah. uh, before uh, uh, Rob Lowe. Yeah, that's right. That <clears throat> and um, <laughs> I found I found his answers to be just compl- like when, when I when I heard his age, I, I, I had to go back and be like, "How old was this kid again?" Because right. his answers were just my, like really really good yeah. and super thoughtful. And it also blew my mind that it, at the end of it, you made sure to say like, "Look, we did not have a conversation prior to this. This is all him. Like we we didn't script this and nothing, yeah. right?" Because I, I, I do have some parent friends who you know their kids would come on stage or they'll get on their podcast, but it's all scripted. They want yeah. them to sound awesome or whatever. Um, so I really respected that you just said like, "Let him talk." Yeah. But also his answers were amazing. So couple of questions selfishly sorry guys on my end uh as a father yeah what what do you, what do you do um in order to to instill that that desire because he obviously has a desire to go learn things himself without you having to like push him to be like go do this go yeah do that, go do that um oh i'm sorry to burst your bubble but you can't <laughs> okay you know i got three kids they're all different i'm a crazy intense entrepreneur i've got one kid that wants to be a philosophy professor Hmm. it's it it doesn't work that way for whatever reason you can't transfer your desires to your kids and when you do i think when you try really hard you can get them to fake it for a little while but then they rebel as we've all seen Hmm. for me i was a very high intensity dad i felt like i could feel like i was winning if i did great dad stuff Hmm. and i'll give you a perfect example when this started and actually sort of set the tone for the rest of my life this one incident is I had all three kids. They were under six at the time. My wife wasn't feeling great. We were supposed to go to the beach. She's like, I'm not going to the beach. So let's find something else. And I was like, oh, but the kids want to go to the beach. So I decided to take all three of them to the beach by myself. Not an easy thing as a dad and kids that young. I had like, yeah, two, four, and six, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe even younger. Oof. So as I'm driving there, I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be torture. <laughs> and then I just remember thinking to myself, you know what? What if Jeff Probst had showed up at the parking lot and said, okay, you're on Kid Survivor, and your job for the next three hours is to take these kids to the water, get them, have fun, feed them, bring them back, clean them up, and have a great time. And if you do that, you win the prize. Could I rally if it was a contest? Yeah, yeah. If there was a big prize in the line? And, and, and I was like, I totally could do that. So for the next three and a half hours, I was competing as if there was a million dollars in the line. Yeah chasing these kids around, get them in the water, changing, having food, making jokes, having fun, like doing fun stuff, like just having the time of my life. And I don't remember if I was having fun doing this stuff, but I know I was like feeling kind of accomplished. You know, like if you're doing a Tough Mudder run, you'd be like, yeah, I just got a great (laughs) time. I'm crushing this, right? Well, it is, again, a caveman, I could do that. So I'm loading these kids back up in the car and these these two women come over and they're like, I'm sorry, we, we don't mean to interrupt, but we've been watching you all day. And we just have to say, you were like the greatest dad we've ever seen. That was amazing watching you. I, we just couldn't resist. And I was just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I started developing that habit yeah. of, hey, I go to work. Hey, I come home. Like, if I'm going to go dad mode, it's like, out comes the Full cape. out, yeah. And I treat Phil it. Dunphy dad yeah, mode. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like, okay, we're going to crush it. Right. So that was good. But there's a trade-off for that. 
Okay. Mm. My dad did not make up, wake up every day trying to figure out how to make me happy. Okay. My dad couldn't care less what I was going through on a day-to-day basis if it was just normal teenage stuff, right? Mm. Like his job was to educate me, prepare me, all those things for life. I'm in the mode of let's make this kid's life as easy as possible. Now, there's some great things to that. If you met my oldest son, you'd be like, he is the nicest, kindest, most generous, amazing kid ever. Not likely he'll be the next Steve Jobs. Hmm. Not likely he's going to be Elon Musk because he just hasn't been born with that fear of failure, hmm. of tough love, of figure it out for yourself or else. He will not be like, if I don't get a job, I can't eat. Yeah, Like there's a gift to poverty. There's a gift to hard times that parents today will not be able to give their kids. Now, I don't know what that's going to manifest itself, but hmm. your best chance is just get lucky. Do, do the don't best you can and get lucky. Type yeah. Of a, yeah. Yeah. And, and some people need that, mm. you know, that's what propelled me in a lot of ways. It's probably what propelled you, but yeah. we're, I've lost that with mm. my kids and you'll probably lose that with yours because that's, that's the way our society is now. That's interesting. Yeah. So good luck. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate that, man. Yeah. Um, the contest thing that, I mean, that, that hits home for me for yeah. sure. Yeah. And I, that's definitely something to well, I, and, I train. You look at the prize too. It's obviously much better than a million dollars. Yes. But I train people to do that in my high intensity and high performance series. And I've worked with professional athletes and I coach teams is I train people how to do that in every situation in their life, like to, to get your body used to winning situations. Hmm. And I, this great exercise, if your audience is going to go out to lunch today or whatnot, if the waitress had a contest, who was the best customer today? What would be, who enjoyed their lunch the most? Yeah. And there was a contest and she was giving away a $10,000 prize. What would you do to to win or yeah. get in the running? Right. How would you act? How would you speak? What would you look like? How would you sit in your chair? How would you talk to her when we came, when she came there? Okay. Mm. If it was a genuine contest, you act a certain way. Yeah, totally. And your body and brain physiologically doesn't know the difference if it's a real contest or you just think it is. It doesn't know if there's a prize or not, right? And so it isn't about that moment. It's about training your physiological makeup to be in that mode more often. Oh, I'm going to win something. Yeah. I'm going to win a situation. Pshoo, bang. Here I am. Watch me crush it. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to pick up my car at valet. Pshoo, dude, if this guy was given prizes for the best valet customer, pff, I would, I'd be in the top three for sure. <laughs> right. You can train yourself yeah, to right. do that. You won't do it all day, every day, but you do it more often when you really want that attitude, when you want to bring something. Now your body's used to it. That's why professional athletes, practice as hard as right. they play right because they need to be in intense mode you can't build the habit of half-assing right. something that's right yeah and if you look at the rest of your life if you're someone who performs well at, at the office or per- performs well in a athletic situation the rest of your life is probably half-ass hmm. and if you don't think that rest of your life being half-ass and average affects your time when you want to be non-average like you're crazy it hmm. does not just up on the practice court not just at the office Everywhere you are normal and average, that's what the rest of your life wants to be. Yeah. It's like average is chasing you down. It's a force. It's, it's like a gravity. force. Yeah. And you got to practice it and you can do it in any way. If you go to, if you go to the movies, you're like, if there was a prize for who enjoyed this movie the most, what would I do differently? How would I sit in my chair? How would I act? And like just those little exercises hmm. make a difference. And I'll do it sometimes just driving. Okay. The next three miles, if the Lord himself came down and awarded a prize, eternal life, to whoever drove these next mi- three miles the best yeah. and enjoyed it the most, what would I have to do? And and I guarantee people are listening to that. And it's like, close your eyes. Think how you'd drive. Yeah. Think how you'd be. 
it, at home when you're thinking about it, your chest fills up. Yeah, and like I do is. this on stage and I will have yeah. a thousand a people. Of, yeah. th- I could see them rising in their seats. <laughs> I could see the smiles because I've told them we're going to have a who walks the next seven steps the best. We're going to have a contest. Yeah. And I say, okay, but I need you to think about it. I don't, okay, you can't come up here to do the contest and try to think about what you're going to do. And there's too many people. You got to know. So let's just take 15 seconds and picture how you're going to walk these seven steps. Yeah. Seven steps to $1,000. And of course, everybody's picturing themselves with a stroll or whatever, and they're all smiling yeah. and they're laughing. It's like, okay, we're not doing the contest, but you just see it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not giving you $1,000. Your boss is too cheap. That's usually my joke, but yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all, it's to match and match with. Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Who's been an accidental and unofficial mentor? Uh, you know, uh, unofficial mentor. I mean, there's so many of those. Uh, uh, and really, I would say John Lee Dumas, except for that was really on purpose uh, on my part. You know, it was accidental on his part. It was really on purpose and strategic on my part. I wanted to learn from him. And so I did whatever I could to get around him, including buying a mastermind at his uh, house for a weekend. Um, and so he's become a really good unofficial mentor in my life, like somebody that um, I can shoot a quick text to whenever I'm running into anything. And he's always, always willing to help me out. Um, uh, another one of those would be Jordan Harbinger. Um, that one was probably a little bit more accidental. I, I wanted, I knew I wanted to meet Jordan, but when I started listening to podcasts, I listened to three podcasts, Bigger Pockets, Jordan Harbinger's show, and Entrepreneur on Fire. So I knew I wanted to connect with Brandon Turner, uh, John Lee Dumas, and Jordan Harbinger. Uh, JLD, since he was like the big, like his brand was all about teaching you how to podcast. I knew I wanted to podcast. He was like, he was number one on the list, right? Uh, but then after that, I knew I wanted to meet Jordan. And, and Jordan had conversations with like my childhood hero, like Shaq was on his show. And right. Shaq was like my idol growing up, you know? And so um, 
I, I knew that I wanted to, to, to get to know Jordan a little bit better. And that that's kind of turned into this just accidental mentorship type relationship where um, anytime, anytime I'm running into something and I need some advice, like even starting this show was right. came directly from a conversation that I have with Jordan, you know, so um, different things like that, where I have, you know, been able to get the ear of somebody who I really, really respect their opinion and they are crushing it and what it is they're doing. And I'm blessed to have those types of like unofficial mentorship type relationships in my life now. Well, and I think it kind of speaks to, to the power of the podcasting thing as well, because oh, like so you, you just listed, like, here's three people, people who are crushing it. I mean, millions, and millions of downloads every month, like right. massive people. And your connection point to most of them was like, Hey, will you do my show? Right. And so I think it's really cool that like you set this and I'm, I'm seeing that now with like my shows, like there's people that I like for the last several years have been like, Oh, I wish I could talk to them. They're so unattainable. Right. It costs a ton of money to go to this convention to see them for two seconds. And it's like, then you reach out and say, Hey, will you talk to me for an hour and we can record it? And they're like, yeah. (laughs) And you're like, I'm stoked. You're like, wait, you charge me like $50 for like an autograph. Yeah, literally. It's like, so I think that's really cool that like, it's an in, Yeah, people don't understand. It's, it's such an in. I, that's what I tell you all the time. Like, don't worry about your downloads. Right. Like, you know, people, cause people get this thing in their head where like, well, I don't want to start a show because you know, I, I just, it's not a priority right now. And you know, if I want to do it, I want to do it right. And it's like, right. well, I agree. You, you should do it right. Like you should build a quality thing, but in terms of downloads, don't, don't worry about that. Right. Who cares? Like yeah. if you only get the relationships that, I mean, that by itself is worth every single hour you put into creating a show. Probably three years ago now is when I got into the personal development world. Yeah. Started listening to podcasts. Johnny Doom is a big mentor of mine, and yeah. one of the first Dear podcasts I listened Good to. Dude. And uh, I started just listening to that to all their stuff, and then it just turned me on to this entire world of people. Like what kind of what you were saying, yeah. where I was just like, "Oh my gosh, where were all these <laughs> yeah. stories? Like, yeah. you know, ten years ago, what? like, how come I'm just now learning about this?" Yeah. And, and I felt like that being a twenty, you know, three year old, whatever I was yeah. at the time. And I'm sure people, you know, are realizing that at forty and forty five, yeah. like, where, where was this my entire life? You know, so how, how can, how can we, how can we make sure that we put ourselves in environments that continue to help shape us into who we want to be? Yeah. And, and that's why Tony and I, Tony Robbins and I, yes, he changed my life at 25 and I wrote in my journal someday. I want to meet him and thank him. Uh, somebody introduced so us awesome. together, so introduced awesome. this a mutual friend about 10 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, Joe Polish. uh yeah. yeah, Joe introduced us about 10 years ago and then, um, Tony said, all right, fly out to Chicago. And then and we met really quick. And then he said, you know what, come down, meet me at my house. So I went to his house for an hour meeting. And we spent like nine hours together. And yeah. we just had so many similarities growing up. His mom and my dad were like the same exact human and just all this stuff. And it went great. He canceled all his stuff. I stayed an extra day. And we've been dear friends ever since. Yeah. And both of us have a lot of people that want to do business with us. Him more than me. He's got 20 years on me, right? But still, every day we have people that want to do business. And sometimes it's just, it's hard because I want to do business with a lot of people, yeah. but it gets numbing because you got to focus on your own stuff. Right, totally. So we decided, like, let's just be buds. Like, we didn't do business together for eight years. It was just friendship. We met four times a year. We talked once a week. And then a couple years ago, we just said, you know what? Self education saved our lives. Like, where would we be without Jim Rome? Where would I be without you? Where would we be without? All of this self-education, this specialized knowledge. And we said the world is finally getting it. I don't know if you know this, but right now the, the world is spending $455 million a day on self-education. A day. Really? And uh, Forbes just came out with an article saying it's one of the fastest growing industries in the world. It's heading to a billion a day. Wow. So what we figured out, the world's figuring out. Like 
I could go to college for four years or six and have this big debt, and then when I get out, what the hell am I gonna do, right? There's a whole right. generation of millennials right now with college debt and don't know what to do with a higher level of angst. Mm-hmm. They're waiting mm-hmm. eight extra years to buy a house because they have a loan angst on Angst and entitlement, too. And entitlement, right? yeah, and, yeah. And, I'm and, supposed and, to get this, yeah, and, check and, the boxes. Yeah, and, and not in a bad way, they're just like, they weren't taught that mm-hmm. there's this other option, so what, what the world is realizing, which Tony and I love, it wasn't that cool when Tony started 40 years ago, and it wasn't even that cool when I started an infomercial 20 years ago. But now people are going, okay, I can go four years of college, or I can go to this weekend workshop that somebody's been in this space five years, 10 years, 20 years longer than me, and in a weekend, I, they can condense decades or years into days, and I can start off where they left off. I mean, and have I can you ever- I work on it on Monday. I can work on it on Monday. Have yeah. you ever gone to a, a mastermind and literally went home Monday and transformed your business? Because yeah. I have. Yeah. I've been to 300 days yeah. of masterminds. And the world is realizing masterminds, groups, workshops, Zoom calls, online, like this online uh, platform has given the self-education this wind yeah. and the world is going there. So what Tony and I decided is like, how do we get, how do we fix a, a, an outdated, broken education system? Yeah. And how do we make self-education the new norm? That's what him and I have been saying for two years. How do we make self-education the new norm? Yeah. And that's when we decided to take our 60 years combined experience in this industry and say, let's teach people with a skill, an experience, a hobby, a mastery, or even a struggle you went through and now you're on the other side. How do you extract that knowledge and share it with people starting on day one? Hmm. Right? Everybody said to me, what's the self-education industry, Dean, if you had to sum it up? And I guess the best way I'd sum it up is, what would it be worth, you're 27, what would it be worth to you to spend one full day with your 20-year-old self? Oh, man. A lot. Right? (laughs) I don't know. There's only two answers. Yeah, Yeah, Two answers I get. Priceless or millions, right? That's what everybody says. So that's what the self-education industry is. How many people today do you think are starting off where you were when you were 20? Hundreds and hundreds yeah. of thousands, millions, right? Starting off today. You have the opportunity to go back and get those that raise their hand and more now are raising their hand than ever in the tune of heading towards a billion dollars a day saying, hey, Travis, I don't want to spend seven years figuring out what you did, man. Yeah. Let's do a weekend Zoom workshop and tell me that. Right. And that, when Tony and I realized that, we're like, okay, but it's a little bit of the wild, wild west. Let's create a gold standard on how people can extract what they know, hmm. share it with people, find their ideal clients who want that, get paid, impact their lives, and move on. A couple of years back, my wife's dad passed away. You know, I guess the best word I could describe would be used to describe it would be surreal. It was just a surreal time. Um, you know, we heard the news on January third that he was in the hospital, and he's fifty-three, by the way, so um, not an old guy, you know, by any means. Uh, 53 years old. Uh, we found out he was in the hospital January 3rd, and then January 13th he passed away, and that was a uh, obviously an insanely difficult time for my wife. Uh, but but I think a lot of times because of that, the other party in those types of situations isn't really checked in with as much um, because like I didn't because it wasn't me losing my dad. You know what I mean? So um, I, I, all I was doing was trying to be there for Jackie, and so it was another one of those times in my life where I just retreated inside and all the, all of the feelings that I was feeling during that time of like watching the person I love most in the world go through something so horrible was like all of those things were just kind of squished down further inside of me Mm -hmm. and put in with all the other emotions from the past things that I had dealt with, um, in, in my own life. And so it was just like a big magnet magnification almost of, of, you know, the negative thoughts and feelings that, that I had had. And, and I just didn't feel like I could express them. Like, I didn't feel like it was my place. I didn't feel like I was being right. fair to her to like bring up how I was feeling when she was going through something so horrible. 
Um, and so I internalized a lot of those things. And then what happened is it ended up kind of blowing up in our marriage and we came really close. I don't even, I don't even know if I told you this, bro, but we, we've, we came really close to separating and getting a divorce, um, about a year after all this stuff happened with her dad, because it caused such a chasm between us. Um, and, uh, looking back, I think it was just because I, I just further isolated myself, uh, right. from, from her and from other people because I, I kept, I kept putting down the situation that I was in because it wasn't as bad as the situation she was in. And I'm not a dramatic person or an emotional person typically. And so when I feel those things and I, and I, and I feel some of those things boiling up, I feel like almost it's my duty to like push them back down. And so I, I created almost this, this, um, isolation of myself in our marriage that just took me further away from her instead of bringing me closer to her and, um, and just use temporary relief to get away from it instead of actually di- like diving deep and dealing with the problem. And so it, it almost cost us our marriage to be honest. And, uh, it was a, it was a difficult time, uh, to say the least. And, um, but the crazy thing is during all of that is when I like, that's when I launched my podcast and my online business was during all that stuff. Um, and so it, it was just kind of like a, you know, all this stuff is happening, but at the same time, I still got to get, get up and do what I got to do because, yeah. you know, life isn't ever like, there's never going to be a perfect time and people are always waiting for the perfect time. Like, Oh, now it's just not the right time. Now it's just not the right time. Okay. Well, when is going to be the right time? Because like people have been saying for a long time, well, I don't have any time. And then all of a sudden like the coronavirus hits and we're, we're all stuck at home doing nothing and you still don't have the time. Like when are you going to find the freaking time, man? Like you just got to get in and do things and, um, and, uh, and, and work through it. And so that's, that's what I did at the time. And, and and sure, there's a lot of things that I would do differently now if I were in that position again. Uh, but at the time I just kind of downplayed my own emotions, my own feelings during, during all of that. And it just kind of got in me and uh, made me be that lonely island again all by myself and um, further isolated me from everything, which was, which was a huge struggle. And so um, that's definitely helped shape me into the husband that I am now. It's, it's helped shape me into the, the father that I am now uh, because it made, it made me realize certain things about myself that I really didn't like um, and, that I, and that I knew wouldn't be a good example for, for my son and things that I really had to face head on and, and really change. So I um, know that was kind of a long-winded answer. But. No, I think, and I think that's really, I mean, that kind of stuff's important. I resonate a lot with that story. I mean, we, we were married for like three months and, you know, found out we were pregnant, had a miscarriage, like, and went from that to losing a job, like two months later, three months later, like having to move back, back to our home state, find like a regular job again after doing something we love doing. And it's like, you know, I spent all that time thinking like, this should be affecting me more. Like it did affect me a lot at the time, but I was like, this, this, this should be affecting me more than it is. And then you get to a point where like a year later you were like, why do I feel like this? Why do I have these emotions and this feeling? And it's like, Oh, I never dealt with it at the time. I was so busy. And especially, I think especially for, you know, when you're in a position of being a husband or a dad, like you have this thing where you feel like I have to, whether it's society puts that on you or you put that on yourself, you feel this obligation to carry everybody through crisis. And so like, for me, like it was this year when like we were making better money than ever before. We were more comfortable than ever before. Like we had security for the first time in like our entire marriage. And it was like, Oh, now I'm depressed and miserable. And it's like, it's cause I never dealt with all of those things that were, I felt this stigma around to talk about. And I think you've done a good job even just one-on-one with me, but I think just with people you've talked to addressing that stigma of like, 
it's okay. Like being an entrepreneur is hard. Being a human being is hard and you need to be able to talk openly. Like the fact that you're willing to share that to your audience is something that's like really impactful. And I think that's the kind of, that's the kind of stuff that people need to hear. It's like, there's, yeah, people need to know how to, you know, how to send a good email to someone they want to get on their podcast. But I think there's also people who are like, I can't even muster up the strength to write that email right now. And so I think that's, I think that's the kind of stuff people are going to be interested to hear. I'm going to say a quote that you have said, and I want you just to give me like a quick deep dive into that quote. Sure. Cool. So first one, there is no greater revenge than unmitigated success. <laughs> So that's actually a quote. I think that's um, Frank Sinatra, if I remember right. And one, I think that people really have to understand that you're only going to get so far with beauty. You're only going to get so far with love and I'll call it 80%. You're going to get 80% of the way there. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of the time, that's where you should be. But there's something built into us where you need the dark side. You need the the rage, the anger to propel you forward in acute moments. I don't think you ever want to stay there for long. Mm -hmm. And they've shown this scientifically. If you take somebody and have them submerge their arm in an ice bucket and have, you know, 30 people do it, whatever, you'll get a median amount of time that people can leave it in. If right when they're about to pull it out, you tell them, don't take it out, get angry. You can yell, cuss, do anything you want. Just express rage. They can leave it in 30% longer. So our ability to endure pain is increased by the amount that we're able to harness the anger, the aggression. And I find that people either don't know how to be aggressive, they don't know how to channel that rage, that anger, or it's all they do. Hmm. Both are problematic. If your only tool is rage and anger, you'll self-destruct, you'll burn out, you'll alienate everybody. If, on the other hand, you hold it, you reserve it for those key moments, you endure what you can endure, But right before you give in, instead of giving in, you go farther than anybody else because you know how to harness that stuff. So there are definitely times that I think about where I'm I'm just fucking exhausted, man, to my core, like Mm -hmm. to the the marrow of my bones, I cannot go any farther. And in those moments, I think of the people that I know want me to fail. Mm -hmm. I think of the people that sincerely believe I'm going to fail and that they will do anything they can to trip me up. I think of people that told me, you're never, dude, it's too late. You're never going to make it. Mm. I actually have a list. And (laughs) I know who the people are. I'm thinking of them right now. And in those moments, I just, I won't give them the satisfaction. And I Mm. am going to be successful and then not say a fucking word about it. And just let the success speak for itself. But I've got to tell you, there have been times, part of the reason that I've been as successful as I have is in those moments where I'm just as tired as anybody else, where I want to go to the party like everybody else, mm-hmm. I don't because of the darkness, not because I'm thinking, oh my God, I really want to help people. Right. That's where I spend 80% of my time. Mm-hmm. But homie, there is 20% of the time, it's nothing but rage. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapelcom slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. That's chime.com slash goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.